listening to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast with Dr. Dan Pallison. Dr. Dan is a licensed clinical psychologist, a speaker, and a financial advisor. He serves as the Chief of Investor Behavior at Keystone Wealth Partners. Dr. Dan is passionate about helping people tap into the behaviors that bring about wealth, health, and happiness. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast. I'm Dr. Dan. Thank you so much for listening in. This week, I get to interview Chad Fletcher. Chad and I actually work together. Uh, We're both financial advisors at Keystone Wealth Partners. We are both CFP, Certified Financial Planners. But check out this list. Chad's letters uh, and alphabet soup don't stop there. He's also an RICP, a, a Retirement Income Certified Professional. He's a CHFC, a Chartered Financial Consultant and an LEUTCF, a Life Underwriter Training Council Fellow. And in spite of all those credentials, um, Chad is one of the most uh, humble, uh, down-to-earth, just genuine um, individuals that I, I've gotten the pleasure to get to know over the years uh, and, and do some work together. So Chad and I just kind of talk shop. We're, we're chatting about the financial industry. Um, he shares a bit of his background, and he's been doing it a lot longer than I have. Um, and we also get into you know a, a shared love that we have for the game of golf and, and some of the parallels that we see in finance. So, so please enjoy this week's episode of the Behavioral Wealth Podcast with Chad Fletcher. All right. Welcome to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast. I'm Dr. Dan. I am thrilled today to be joined by Chad Fletcher. Chad, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It's uh, certainly a a privilege to get to do this with you today. Um, You know, we have the privilege of getting to work with one another, but um, never had the opportunity to do this uh, uh, with anyone. Uh, So I'm I'm very, very happy to get to do this with you. So yeah, first First podcast, huh? Yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't uh, know that I'm the most uh, extemporaneous uh, type communicators, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Chad. So so for the viewers out there, uh, Chad, you and I get to work together at Keystone Wealth Partners. Uh, so you're a colleague of mine. You're a senior lead advisor and, and financial planner um, at Keystone Wealth Partners. So so even though we're colleagues, I actually view you, you know, as much as a mentor as a colleague. So I appreciate having you there um, to, to work with, but I also have really enjoyed getting to know you and looking up to you and, and sort of, you know, being one that you've taken under your wing when I started out in finance um, and we work together on the same team. So I just really look up to you as a resource um, in this world of financial planning. So I'm really excited to just chat about a few things that I know we could go for hours on, which we won't. Yeah. Um, but but uh, no, so I just again, I wanted to express that compliment to you that I really do look up to you and I'm happy that you're going to be. Well, on. thank you so much. I mean, it's it's uh, I'm very grateful to get to do the work that we get to do together and uh, certainly finding myself in a position where now I'm being referred to as a mentor is a little bit surreal for me because <laughs> you know I've I had mentors in my, in my own life along the way and mm-hmm. and, and so here I am uh, hopefully returning uh, the the favor in some way shape or form so yeah whatever yeah, yeah whatever whatever I've been able to learn uh, learn over my career and and uh, can pass on, then that's, that's kind of what it's all about. That's, that's great. Well, let's, let's talk about your career a little bit. So, so you are currently, you know, a, a lead advisor, a, a financial planning advisor at Keystone. Um, you're a certified financial planner, um, but you haven't always been, and I know you've been in the financial industry prior to being a financial planner. You were really in the insurance world. Can you talk a little bit about what you were doing 
you know, then, um, and the difference of what you're doing now and, and maybe even why you, you made the switch? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I, and I really, I really cherish the, you know, being able to, to, to look back, as they say, hindsight's always 2020 and there's always things that you can learn from your past that bring you to where you're at right now. So, so I, I have both this kind of love hate kind of uh, relationship about the, the history that I've had coming through to get me to where I'm at, but at the same time, that's also made me who I am. And, and I, I hope that I've been able to, to, again, learn some things along the way that I can um, uh, relay to folks like yourself, colleagues like yourself, but then also I, I can relate to my clients a lot better. But yes, I started, started in the insurance industry as a multiple line insurance agent. And for those that may not know what that is, it's basically um, uh, an insurance agent that's able to sell uh, multiple lines is why it's called multiple line mm -hmm. insurance, but whether it be auto insurance, home insurance, life, disability, it, you know, if it basically, if it has insurance behind the word, then yes, I was licensed mm -hmm. to sell it. And, and, and I was recruited um, uh, by my father-in-law. Um, and uh, I don't know if we'll talk about that later or not, but I was recruited by my <laughs> father-in-law and, and he, he kind of persuaded me because I didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I just want to be an insurance agent. I don't know anybody that's in this business that's ever done that, right? But, but, uh, but he persuaded me to give this a go. And so, so I did. Um, there were some pieces to it I thought that I could do fairly well. Um, but yeah, I, I worked in the, in the insurance industry up until about uh, spring of 2008. And uh, it's at that point that I began to transition over into more of an independent insurance agent at that time, but then also trying to seek a path in uh, a way forward to move into the space that we're in now as independent financial advisors. So yes, mm -hmm. that's, that's basically so from, so from like very late 1999, let's just call it early 2000. Uh, that's when I actually began in my career as an insurance agent mm -hmm. and, and then uh, did that all the way through uh, early 2008 uh, when I then began to transition to an independent insurance agent and financial more more appropriately labeled as a financial advisor at that point. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I will figure out what the title of this episode will be, but I'm kind of playing with something along the lines of not all advisors are created equal or not all financial professionals are created equal. Isn't that so, true? Yeah. So, so can you talk about, you know, a little bit about a day in the life of an insurance agent? I mean, what, what are you doing? What is your focus? What is your focus with your clients? How are you compensated? How are you feeding your family? Which, yeah. which is very important. Yeah. 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 Now, now I'm going to, I'm going to dive into this a little bit, but I also want to preface it with that, you know, for, for me, still, insurance is a, a, a very basic and integral part of any well-designed financial plan. It's the very core of everything. It's, it's just it's basically risk management. How do I manage my risk you know, to, to, to hopefully prevent a situation where we experience a catastrophic financial loss that would completely ruin us, right? So, mm -hmm. so I, I still very much advocate for that, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm grateful, again, for the background that I had. However, that being said... Um, as an insurance agent, um, I technically speaking, I'm a salesperson in that mm -hmm. role. Uh, my, mm -hmm. my job is to sell. Um, a lot of insurance has been commoditized in, in a lot of ways in that, you know, if, you know, if you need auto or home insurance, you know, whoever has a decent policy at the lowest rate, well, that's what I'm going to go with. But I was a, what's called a captive insurance agent with a singular insurance company. And that was kind of the traditional uh, way for someone to come into the industry is through that, through that particular model. But yeah, my, essentially my job was to go out and prospect for new clients, uh, whether they be businesses or individuals or whomever it is, 
and establish a, re a relationship with them, ask them to review their insurance, see if there was an opportunity to perhaps improve on coverage that they already had or didn't have really, and then try to save them some money there because that's, that's something that we as consumers, we, we really don't like paying more for our insurance and we really uh, need to. So, right. so that's what that looked like. And, and, and so, so yes, very much kind of in that sales role, again, whether it's auto insurance, home insurance, life insurance, there was a big emphasis early with the agency I was with a big emphasis to lead with life insurance. Basically what that means is you meet a family, individual business person, and you try to find a, an opportunity to have a conversation with them about life insurance in some way, shape or form and the various mm -hmm. strategies that could be talked about with life insurance. So, so once I did that, then it would perhaps expand beyond that to, to other, other lines. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I have an episode, a few, a few, episodes back. Um, again, I forget the title, but it's something having to do with managing risk or insurance. And, and, and it's just that, I mean, there, there's, there's certainly some areas in life that if you do not have some insurance coverage, you know, around when, when the likelihood may be low, but the, but yeah. the potential of loss is extremely yeah. high and devastating. I mean, these are some areas that you certainly want to have some coverage. And so well, yeah, you know, and, absolutely and, and, a time and a place. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and certainly life insurance, one of the things I can't credit my um, uh, original agency manager with is he really did instill a culture in our agency of what he would term to be advocating for those that can't speak for themselves as mm -hmm. it relates to these financial needs. Mm. You know, traditionally, again, this isn't the case for every family, but traditionally you have a husband going to work. You might have a mom at home with a couple of kids. Mm -hmm. You got mortgages, you have all these things. Well, what happens if that husband is no longer able to work anymore, mm -hmm. whether it be because of a, a sickness or injury that requires disability help or you know, horribly a death, something mm -hmm. like that. I mean, what happens to that family then? And so, so for me, I really connected with that because, you know, again, a lot of insurance is somewhat of a commodity auto insurance, for example, you know, there's, there's tons and tons of insurance companies out there and you can get a really good policy with just about any insurance company. And they are all very competitive on price, but that life insurance story was the one that really, really caught my attention and my ability to kind of say, yeah, I, I think I can do this. This is something I think I can get behind is tell this story. Uh, yep. for folks and advocate for that wife or that child to say, look, dad, uh, you don't have any life insurance here. If you're not able to work anymore, what what's this family going to do? Mm -hmm. And so that's in essence how that adv advocacy kind of uh, comes about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So, so you've, you've, you have this history in insurance. Um, you've, you've actually been able to, to craft a perspective around it, to see the, the value of it, where it doesn't feel like you're just knocking on doors and trying to sling a product that people don't need. But I, I actually love that. I love that you've been able to see the value that this adds. And, and even I had, have not heard you put it that way of, of, you know, really being an advocate for people that maybe can't stand yeah. up for themselves or don't have a, you know, a, a louder voice um, when it comes to, you know, the potential of, of loss of income, whatever yeah. it may be. So I, I, I love that. So, so you are finding some, some purpose and some meaning in that world. Yes. What, what prompted the shift into what you're doing now is more yeah. rather, yeah. rather than just an insurance salesperson, but more of a financial planner, a holistic yeah. financial planner. What, what led you yeah. to the transition? Yeah. Essentially it boils down to, to square pegs and round holes as they mm. say. Because mm -hmm. everything that I see, because again, traditional insurance sales uh, are just that. They are commission-based sales. And I love my family dearly. I want to provide for them as mm -hmm. best I can. Um, but everything uh, around these conversations was predicated based upon my ability 
to communicate a message, convince, compel, whatever, however we want to put that, for someone to make a decision to buy something that I then am compensated for through commission. And so, so I began to realize that, that, that I was beginning to filter everything through that lens of, okay, I need to quote unquote produce. I'm an insurance producer and my agent, uh, I'm sorry, my agency and my manager had requirements that I would need to meet. Otherwise my contract with them would perhaps come under some jeopardy is that well, if you're <laughs> right. not going to produce, well, we got to move on and, and get somebody in here that will. So mm -hmm. there's always that pressure. And, and the other thing is, is technically speaking, even though even though I, I, I'm a salesperson in that role, I had some conflicting messages going on in my head of, okay, if I'm being an advocate, if I'm truly being an advocate, I'm trying to put myself out there as a trusted professional individual, those sorts of things, that, that, that really began to conflict with me a little bit. Mm. Um, and, and, and not just a little bit, but, but it was fairly early in my career. It was only maybe about three, three years into my career that this, I, I began to have this conflict. I really couldn't put a finger on what it really was, but just something just didn't seem right about that is mm -hmm. that, that my interests revolve around being able to, to, to feed my family and, and have a lifestyle to, to support that. But it means that I need to compel people to buy something, which, yeah, I, I felt that they needed. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes, you know, when push comes to shove, uh, this was common that my agency manager would come to me and say, look, um, haven't seen a life insurance application come, come from you, uh, as of late. Uh, and this would be, you know, a conversation like this would happen maybe at five 30 in the evening when I'm getting ready to wrap up and he would mm -hmm. put it out there. Hey, if your contract depended on it, where are you going to get a life insurance contract tonight? Yeah. You know, and that, that really began to hit me like, really? Yeah. Is this really being an advocate? Mm -hmm. Is that what that means? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm sure that there's got to be some somebody out there that you've talked to that you, you'll get an application from this evening. Mm. So it was those so, sorts of conversations. I'm like, mm, yeah. I don't think I'm down with this, right? right. Yeah, yep. I, 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 I want to meet people where they're at to meet the need that they have. But, but I began to see some of the flaws that are common in the industry like that. Again, sure. not, not that there aren't flaws in everything, but, but I began to see that. And that's, that's what really didn't, uh, didn't settle well with me in those sorts of situations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about goal setting on this podcast and in my background as a psychologist and, and looking at human motivation and behavior and goal setting and smart goals. And one of the principles of us setting a smart goal is something that's measurable. And oftentimes we can get lost in the measurable. I mean, we can kind of lose sight of the broader goal because we're just trying to measure progress in some way or form or another. And when it comes to, you know, our careers and, and these, you know, I'm seeing a parallel with you with insurance where you, you believed in the product, you know, what, you know, it, it helped and it served a, a place in, in people's, you know, portfolios and just yeah. their financial management. Yeah. Um, but when the focus became more, you know, on just the quantity of, policy sold because it's measurable because you have a quota quota or your your supervisor has a quota or your agency has a quota i mean it's it it starts the focus then shifts on let well we need to meet what is measurable rather than what's in the broader best yeah. interest of the yeah. of the family yeah. or the person yeah. but yeah so talk a little bit about what you're doing now and 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 just kind of the role that you get to play when it comes to uh people managing their their finances and for a lot of them in retirement, some of them, you know, nearing retirement, but what, what are you doing now? That's yeah. a little different than what you're doing before. 
Yeah, what I'm doing now, I just, I I absolutely have to pinch myself every morning when I get up uh, and get to come to this office and do the work that we get to do together. And and obviously we work with just a wonderful team of of people, of professionals that we're all, we all have a similar mindset of of, uh, serving uh, our clients in the best capacity that we, we can uh, to help them achieve their their goals and objectives. And so as a senior financial advisor, um, I'm working as a lead financial advisor with a team of, of other financial advisors and, and support staff and all those sorts of things to really help accomplish um, that with clients that put their trust in us to, to come along uh, and hire us and, and allow, this to, uh, allow us to kind of sit in the passenger seat, if you will, of their own car or bus or whatever analogy you mm-hmm. want to use. And, and, and we're essentially there to help guide them be their co-pilot, point out uh, blind spots that they may not be aware of, and, and just uh, make slight course corrections where we need to uh, in an effort to get them to ultimately what their goals and objectives yeah. are as, as well. So, yeah. so yeah, that, that's that's essentially it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great answer. I, uh, um, I'm I'm sure our, our our boss and leader will compensate you for that later. You know, and then that <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but but it actually makes me think about um, something that you were doing prior to insurance. So so in a good story, you know, you have a starting point and you move forward. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm mm-hmm. going to talk more. We're going to focus more on the prequel. So so yeah. even before you were in insurance, mm-hmm. you know, I know your background was in you know the diet nutrition and, and that yeah. space. Um, we kind of joke. So, you, you know, this yeah. is a podcast. People can't see Ch- Chad. Chad might be in the best shape of all of the advisors, you know, that I work with, even though you might be on the upper end of the, of the age, which by the way, isn't that high. Uh, <laughs> but we joke that you'll probably live the longest and it may have to do with some of your background, you know, prior to getting into finance. But, yeah. but I'm curious if, if you, and I'm joking a bit, but if you'd share a little bit about that background, but especially the parallels you see to your work with clients yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question because yeah, I just, I, I is for those that are listening, it, it might sound like I just kind of fell into insurance and financial services, which for all intents and purposes, I kind of did because my formal education is not uh, in uh, insurance and finance. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, over the years, I've certainly done a lot of self-study and I have what we call more alphabet soup after my name than I probably even know what it is now That's right. uh, through, through self-education. But, but yes, um, I, I graduated with, uh, with a degree from the University of Idaho in nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Margaret Ritchie School of Home Economics. Right? All right. So yes, <laughs> but, but I was specifically a registered dietitian. I, mm-hmm. I actually practiced as a registered dietitian for a period of time. But then I was also very involved in fitness. I was also, I had a minor in sports medicine and kinesiology. And uh, so I was a personal trainer for a period of time. And this is an interest I've had from a very, very young age. I had, a, I had an uncle that was... Um, uh, a youngest sibling of my my mother's uh, but was a little bit closer in my age and he was very much kind of a, a big brother type of role mm-hmm. model for me as a young young kid and and I just remember him quite fondly but I just remember uh, before it was was in vogue I mean he was doing pull-ups on the rafters in my grandfather's <laughs> garage and and doing all sorts of weird calisthenics and things like that and I just remember watching him and just marveling at how his body would move and how much strength that he had in that and it just really uh, always intrigued me and so I, I, I adopted a, a, a lifestyle of, of fitness very early and as a and going through a college and, and uh, having a degree in dietetics nutrition and 
and, and uh, uh, being a personal trainer, there, I've always had this kind of, shall we say, skill set of, of encouragement and coaching and those sorts of things that I feel that I really bring to the table now as a financial advisor, because with, and I think this is pretty intuitive for most people. When you think about, about the health and fitness goals, right? A lot of these things to do them well, they take a high level of time and discipline and consistency to really get to where you need to be. And those parallels are not so different from the parallels of financial planning and, and, and achieving one's financial success. And so I've been able to take that with me, those, those parallels that I had or had as a personal trainer and as a dietitian, I've been able to take that with me into this space now. And there, there are, there's, there's quite a few parallels there and stories that I often share with people to help them connect uh, with other things in their life that they can relate to is like, okay, why is it so hard for me to be successful in this, you know, in, in growing my assets? Well, it's because you're looking at things that, that are very supplemental to what you ought to be doing, mm. right? There's other mm. things that you need to be doing that are going to compel you uh, much better and, and get you much better progress, more consistent progress, but it takes hard work. It takes discipline to do it. And we as Americans, our culture is such as that we want to get there quick. We don't mm -hmm. like doing the hard work, right? We're yeah. very complacent in that. And again, it's not different. It's not so different from health and fitness is people want the quick fix. Yeah. They want to know, well, yo, hey, Chad, I'm going to come in. I want you to do a do a, a program for me. I have these, these fitness goals, that sort of thing. I want you to set up a program for me. I'm like, cool. Okay, here's what we need to do. We got to get your nutrition right. Number one, mm -hmm. we got to get your nutrition right. If you can't get that right, everything else, I mean, you can work out till you're blue in the face mm -hmm. and you're not going to get to your goals unless you get your nutrition right. Mm -hmm. but that's boring. It's mundane. It's mm -hmm. tedious. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to do that. Right. But that's what it takes. And then yes, the working out part, that's hard work. You got to go in, you got to put in the time. You got to, you got to pay attention to form so you don't injure yourself. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big derailer from people uh, getting to their fitness goals is if they're doing things uh, uh, wrong with, with their form and their exercise and they end up injuring themselves and then they can't go back. So there's, there's all those pieces. And so, so those are the parallels again, that I, that I take with me into, uh, in, into the, the, the realm of finances. We need to focus on the hard stuff and, and be consistent with it. And, ideally have a coach along with you to encourage you. I think one of the things that I've, I've talked about is, is like Weight Watchers. We all know who mm -hmm. Weight Watchers is, right? Mm -hmm. Weight Watchers has really tapped into something really cool. Um, and, and what they've tapped into is I think intuitively, we all know that weight loss in and of itself isn't that hard to understand. It's not, right. it's not hard to understand how to lose weight. Now, I don't want to oversimplify it because it can be more complex than this, but it, mm -hmm. it generally boils down to calories in, versus calories out, right? Mm -hmm. If you are eating more calories than what you can burn, it's pretty likely you're gonna gain weight over time. I think we all, all can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if we are very active and if we're burning more calories than, than you know, what we're taking in, then it's likely we're going to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I don't think that, that you know, Weight Watchers really tapped into anything that was you know, Nobel Prize winning there by any means, but what they did tap into is they tapped into a couple of things that are really important. And that is accountability. It's accountability. It's, it's encouragement. It's coaching. It's education. It's all those things. It's being involved with a group of people that, that kind of have a similar goal or objective in mind that they want to get to. And that's what they really tapped into.
And that's that's what I feel that we're doing with a firm like Keystone is that we're kind of acting like that in the role that we have as financial planners is that we bring to that client, we bring that that level of education and accountability and encouragement. For goodness sakes, you want to encourage people. It's not all going to be rainbows and unicorns with the stock market or one's personal lives. I mean, life right. is messy. It's it's messed up. Things happen in our lives. But to be able to step into those difficult moments and give encouragement to people is really, really helpful. And then to be able to point out blind spots and just different things like that. So there's, again, a lot of parallels. I've kind of rambled on for the last few this minutes. Is great. A lot of parallels there between those sorts of things and what we get to do as, as kind of what we call financial coaches, if you will. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the get fit quick you know, uh, fad diets that, that you see, they just, they, they burn out. People end up, you know, yo-yoing between lower weight than, than even gaining more than they, than they'd started with. And it, I, I see some parallels with the get rich quick with finances, yep. you know, anything yeah. that you think you can do on, on a short term, taking on, you know, much more risk than you ever need to, yeah. you know, it tends to not work well in the long run. And so it is sort of slowing people down and, and helping yeah. them zoom out and see the bigger picture um, and, and, and instill some, some principles and some discipline data today, both fitness both and in finance. So yeah. that's great. You know, you touch on coaches. I, I think about, we have a shared interest. We both love the game of golf. We've gone yeah. out and played, you know, quite yeah. a few rounds. Neither of us are setting course records whenever we go out, but we <laughs> both not love me. You, you, more so than I, but yeah, I don't know, but we, but we both love the game. And yeah. I know you've even talked about something similar with, with, coaching and the game of golf. And I'll I'll let you take it from here. What are some of your insights around that? That may not even be original thought to you, but what what are some of the things you carry with you as you understand the importance of coaching as it even pertains to something like golf? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and again, what what I'm about to share isn't anything really new. I don't think it's, you know, (laughs) but, but good stories, good analogies are retold and told again. And this is just one that I've learned many years ago, actually, when I was an insurance agent, Mm. it's just, yeah, it is. It's, it's the comparison between the game of golf and, and, and the game of finance, if you will, if you, if you want to put it that way. But, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we talked earlier, I, I came across a, a statistic recently that, um, you know, as far as golfers are concerned, there's, there's over 60 million golfers in the world. Again, how accurate this is, I'm not entirely certain, but, but I'm mm-hmm. quote, quoting these stats. But so 60 million golfers in the world, half of those ever break 100. So, only, so again, only half of those will ever break a, a, a score of 100. 33% of those will eventually break a score of 90. Mm-hmm. And only less than 5% will ever break 80. Wow. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell about my golf game a little bit. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have to admit that rarely have I ever been able to get, in fact, I think I've only done it one time that I've ever, ever broke 90. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit that I think I have to put an asterisk next to that score (laughs) because there was one shot. I was not certain how I should score it. I wasn't Mm -hmm. certain. And that's only happened once. (laughs) Most of the time, I am probably high nineties, if not above a hundred, unfortunately, but, Mm -hmm. but yes. And so, so, so again, the, the, the parallels with finance is, is that, Again, it's less than 5% of people um, that really would say that they're 
quote unquote good at this game of, mm -hmm. of finance. And mm -hmm. well, why is that? Well, more often than not, it's because they've gotten some help along the way. They've mm -hmm. had a coach, they've had an advisor, they've had something like that in their lives where they've been able to get to that point. Now, there's always the exception of the Warren Buffetts of the world that's, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of, of uh, uh, investors out there. But for the rest of us ordinary folks, we generally need some help along the way. As I mentioned earlier, we all have biases. We all have blind spots. And mm -hmm. Dan, you as a psychologist can talk way more about that than I can. But I think that if we're being uh, self-reflective enough and honest enough with ourselves that we can all admit that we have biases in, in all areas of life. We have certain experiences that have developed those biases. And so without somebody coming alongside us to help identify those and suggesting maybe alternatives to those, then we're just going to get stuck in our own heads and continue trudging along doing whatever the heck we're doing and, and not having the success that we want. And so, mm -hmm. so that's where, again, uh, the analogy of of having a coach or, or, or somebody like that in golf. I mean, for goodness sakes, even the top golfers pros have, have coaches, Tiger, yeah. uh, Ryan DeChambeau. I mean, all these guys have coaches and mm -hmm. practice just a lot. Yeah. And again, it's not so, so different from the average person uh, being able to rely upon a, a financial professional uh, to do the same as to, to <clears throat> encourage you in those areas, point out the strengths that you have, build on those strengths, but then also point out, areas that you need to work on a little bit, give you encouragement and all those things that we talked about earlier. So yep. yeah, a lot, lot of parallels there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun. It's fun to talk about that for me. I mean, because I love golf. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not out there. I, I've broken 80 a handful of times and that's <laughs> it. And when I say handful, I, I can probably count them on two hands at this point in, in life. Uh, but I don't need many more fingers than 10. So, so that's kind of where I stand. Um, but I love the game of golf because just, you know, there, there's always an opportunity for a great shot. When you step up on a tee on a par four, a, a wide open par five, and you've got that, that big dog in hand, you've got the driver in hand and you can swing yeah. away. I mean, when you hit that pure, that is so uh, uh, satisfying and yeah. fulfilling. And then more often than not, my next shot isn't as good. And, and, and then from there on, I'm, I'm scrambling, right. Yeah. Or, or that first shot, I put it, into some trees or, you know, yeah. we're in the Phoenix area. So I'm, I'm out in the desert trying to look for my ball and not get yeah. bitten by a rattlesnake. I mean, yeah. that's half of my round is kind of looking for these balls. So it's, it's like getting out of the trouble that I put myself in with some bad yeah. shots. And there, again, a lot of parallels with finance where yeah. every once in a while, you know, with an investment or some kind of financial decision that you made, I mean, yeah. you can, you can hit it pure. You can yeah. have unknowingly timed the market, whether it's an investment or real estate or something yeah. that happened that was just like, Ooh, that was really good. But I think a lot of people are spending their financial lives kind of recovering from some of the misses yeah. that they made. And, and I have the opportunity to talk with a lot of people that are checking out our firm yeah. and they tell me their stories and their financial stories. And that's what I hear more often than not. You know, there are some of the good shots that they talk about if we go back to the game of golf, but more often than not, they're talking about, you know, when they lost their ball and or yeah. when they, you know, hit it out of bounds three times in a row and their their scorecard just disrupted yeah. and how to bounce back from that. And so, but yeah, I think the consistency and having a coach and, and the reason that you and I are financial advisors and not professional golfers is partly because we have not invested in the time and, yeah. and the coaching needed to be yeah. a better golfer. Yeah. Um, but but it's available, right? It's out yeah. there. You can improve in any sport or any, you know, physical yeah. endeavor, but similar with finances, having that consistency, that coaching you know, yeah. coming alongside, keeping you on track and focused throughout the whole round, as opposed to just shots yeah. here and there. 
Yeah, but isn't it interesting, Dan? I mean, to, to your point, I mean, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna use each of our golf games, I think, here to carry on this conversation. I think, mm -hmm. but isn't it interesting? You, you talked about okay, getting on that tee box and just hitting just a, a, a drive. I mean, you just three hundred plus yards, right? The ball mm -hmm. flight is just appealing to your eye. Just everything is there, and something is happening in your brain at that moment, isn't it? You'll you'll speak about this perhaps from a psychological standpoint. I hope mm. but something is happening in your brain at that moment. Right. We might not be conscious of it at, at that particular time, but something is going on right there. And then to your point, OK, that oh, I hit it. I just hit a beautiful shot. It's going to be a great hole. Right. So you're you're, you're getting that self-talk up there, which is great to do in the, in the game of golf, by the way. Mm -hmm. Negative self-talk is not so good. <laughs> right. So 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 you're doing that. But then you go up, you, you got your second shot, you lined up. Maybe it's maybe it's a seven iron in, maybe, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and what, for whatever reason, you just, you just duffed it. Like, just like we were talking about, and then you're just mm -hmm. scrambling the whole time to get there. Yeah. Now I want to go back to that tee shot for a moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to that mm -hmm. because that tee shot is likely what's stuck in your mind at that moment. Right. Yep. As it's that you're saying, yeah, I got this, I got this figured out. I got this whole figured out. I got yep. it. Right. Yep. That first shot kind of reinforced that. Um, and, and, and then, so sometimes it, it perhaps give us, and I'm, I'm going to shut up here in just a moment, and let you comment on it. But wouldn't you agree that maybe that gives us somewhat of a, a, a false sense of, of our ability, right? Of our ability. And let's make the parallel of that to finance, to investing perhaps, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that maybe, maybe, you know, in our efforts to, to invest, for example, we find something that is really attractive to us as far as a particular investment, whether it's a stock, mutual fund, that sort of thing. And maybe we just tee it up and it just goes, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 so we get that, we get that same feeling. Don't you agree? Maybe we get that same feeling, right? And then that then reinforces a behavior in us that we perhaps think that we know something or we've got this thing figured out. Okay, I'm gonna mm -hmm. shut up and let you kind of yeah. comment. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're speaking about the overconfidence bias. So overconfidence bias, we we have you know a bias about our abilities, and when we do something really well. You know, for whatever reason, sometimes our brain locks onto that one thing. And now we say, oh, I've got this. You know, I, I pipe a drive. I'm thinking, oh, I've got this. And so I might not be setting up as well on my next shot because I'm just like, oh, I'm in the zone. I don't I don't need yeah. to practice. I don't need to visualize. I don't need to prep. I've got this. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about so. So what? Yeah, what you're speaking to is, is you know, what psychologists would call overconfidence bias. And, and that happens all the time in finances. Again, I, I talk to so many people, you know, that sit on on the couches that we have here at Keystone or, or a Zoom meeting like this. And you know, and they're telling me their story. They're telling me their, their financial story and they're about to retire, you know, and they're not in a good place financially. They mm -hmm. haven't saved well enough to have the kind of retirement that they want. But when they're talking to me, whether they're trying to impress me or they're feeling a little self-conscious, so they're trying to go to the things that they've done right. They're focusing on, you know, the one or two stocks that they've invested in that have done really well. And that's like the equivalent of me, you know, shooting a hundred in a golf round and then sitting in the clubhouse with my buddies afterwards, drinking a beer and bragging about the three drives that I piped, you know, but, but my scorecard says I, I'm, I'm triple digits. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of similar. I think with the finances where, where you look at someone's financial scorecard, their financial life scorecard, and, and it, it could be disrupted. It could have blown up but they're doing themselves a disservice by just focusing on the win. And I want to, you know, sidebar, 
it's important to have self-confidence. It's oh, important sure. to have high self-esteem. I mean, we do want to focus on the wins that we've had and, and try to replicate those. Yeah. But when the wins come and then we minimize what it took to get there, whether it was yeah. our own efforts. And a lot of times in finance, Chad, as you know, it's through luck. It's through yep. dumb luck that yep. you put money somewhere yeah. and that happened to go up. And now you think, oh, I, I, this speaks to me. You know, yep. uh, it, it's so I, I, again, I, I love that you asked this question and, and I'll start to wrap us up today, by the way, I'm looking up at the time that we have, but I just think again, it's so, it can be so dangerous, you know, in finances when you just focus on the wins, but you have your blinders on with any, everything that you could be doing better. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times those blinders are just our own self-preservation. We, we yeah. want to preserve our own, you know, self-esteem or, or we're embarrassed about, yeah you know, what we've actually, the decisions that we've made with our money, but we need to be willing to remove those, look honestly at the total scorecard, not just the yeah. few good shots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, to yeah. And, and another, back. and that's why they call them biases, right? I mean, yeah. you, you have the overconfidence bias, but, but then maybe there's also recency bias. Like, wait a second, I just did this. Surely I can do it again. Mm -hmm. And then you get up to the next tee box and you duff it like I do. <laughs> uh -huh. I uh -huh. it. And then I either, I'm, I'm either really scrambling or I've completely lost my ball. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and, and in the area of finance, that's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. I mean, if, if you do that over and over and over again, you're really not going to make any progress at all. Your self-talk, as I was just talking about, is not mm -hmm. going to be that good. Mm -hmm. Your confidence mm -hmm. in your ability to do things is not going to be good. So that's when you freeze in those moments. This, 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 is, this is what we see of folks that, that go through what we call investor trauma, right? Where they just mm -hmm. have experienced trauma after trauma after trauma, and then they, they just get stuck. Everything yeah. that they have is just in cash and they wonder why they're not making any money in a high inflationary environment, right? right. Yep. So there's, there's that piece too. So I'm sure we can go on and on about all sorts of parallels and maybe future podcasts, maybe can dive, dive deeper, deeper into more yeah. parallels between golf and, and, and finance, that sort no. of thing. But uh, I don't we, want to derail it, us too much. Here. It would be a very niche audience. I mean, I would I would listen to a, a, a golf <laughs> and finance podcast. I don't know how many of us there are out there yeah, that those yeah, are about their yeah. two favorite things. But yeah, I mean, and one other thing that comes to mind, I can't help myself, is is um, you know fundamental attribution error, where where when good things happen to us, we tend to say, oh, that's because of something internally I, to me, I something did. that I did. Yes. And when, and when something bad happens to us, it's it's you know we explain it outward. We said yes. it was bad luck or some, something got in the way that was outside of my yeah. doing. It wasn't but my when, fault. It was outside good, of circumstance. Right, my right. Fault, right? But yeah. when good things happen to other people, when our golf buddy hits a great shot, it's like, oh, they got lucky, right? It's yeah. not that they were good. It's like, oh, they got lucky. <laughs> and then when they mess up, it's like, yeah, because they're a bad yeah. golfer. So we we think other people are worse off than they are. And it, we ourselves are better than, than we are in certain areas. And yeah. again, very dangerous when it comes, I mean, in golf, who cares, right? Golf. Yeah. Also game. But when it comes to your finances, I mean, that's, that's when it really can become dangerous when you've made some decisions, you have had some success, but now you, you have the overconfidence or yeah. you just assume that it's because of your own innate ability. When a lot of times with finance, you were just, were kind of yeah. in at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, and that's what we, you know, Dan and I were talking about this uh, prior to coming on the podcast, but it's, it's just the, the whole analysis, uh, I'm sorry, the whole analogy of this is is it simply boils down to what would you rather have? Would you rather have a good golf swing or would mm -hmm. you rather have the, the best clubs that money could buy? What would you mm -hmm. rather have? And if you're a golfer like me, I just bought a whole bunch of, of newer clubs last year, but my golf game is exactly the same. It didn't improve, <laughs> right? 
I need to spend time with a coach. I need to spend time practicing. I need to be disciplined with this in order for me to improve. And again, it's not so different in the area of finance is that, that you need to have discipline and practice and have a coach that can, can help you, or or in this case, maybe a caddy for goodness sakes, maybe this analogy even further, have a caddy there with you that can help talk you through things and help build you up. Uh, those sorts of things too, and so so those those are the parallels that we like to make uh, for those that, that yeah. uh, uh, have have a love of, love of golf. <laughs> All right, yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you what, Chad. Uh, final question on the podcast today. This is this being the behavioral wealth podcast. You know, how would you define wealth in your life, or or how would you define a wealthy life? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you indicated earlier, I, I am somewhat of the the elder in the firm, although I'm I'm not that old. So. <laughs> He's not that old, people. <laughs> it just speaks more to not the firm, that old. But yeah, yeah. But when you but when you work with a lot of twenty something and thirty something folks, I guess it doesn't take too too uh, too many more years to, to be considered older anyway. Right, but right. yeah, but no, is is I is I've oh, kind Chad, of Chad, I'm going to interrupt, and I want to make it clear, I'm with you on the upper half. You know, yeah. if if we're breaking our team in half, I'm definitely on the older side. Too. So we're yes, in, we're yes. in this together. Okay. Yes. So so yes, but just just as is one typically does, or at least I hope this is the case for many, as you progress through life, there's certain lessons that you you learn. There's certain things that you begin to appreciate more, um, and 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 those are things like health. You know, making sure that that I'm able to do the things that God has called me to do. Um, love my family, love my friends, love my community, love my team members that I get to get to work with here. And, and of course, love and serve clients that I have the ability to do. And so without having good health, then what am I doing here? So mm-hmm. for me, <laughs> admittedly, I will say, and my wife would say the same too, since we just went through our 2021 finances mm-hmm. to see where we're spending money, mm-hmm. I spend a, a decent amount of resources on my health, uh, yeah. whether it be, you know, a gym membership or eating well or proper supplementation. I mean, especially going through this, this COVID pandemic, I mean, that's really uh, been a focus too, is I want to be able to be there for my clients and my team members. I don't want to get knocked down by this thing. So I want to try to bolster my health. So for me, that's, that's part of what that means. And then beyond that too, it, it, it also means trying to have more control over, over time. Because again, if you're going to do these things, you've got to have control over your time to be able to, again, love your family and, and friends and all those sorts of things. And if you're just, you know, nose down, just working all the time, trying to make the money. Well, I, I don't know that that's necessarily where where one's attention ought to be. So those those are at least two things I could say. Uh, there's probably more, but those are two things that, that I, I would say is that's where I kind of define wealth is, is being able to to have my health, to do the things that God's called me to do, and 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 to be able to have the time to do them. Uh, and, and to me, that's that's kind of what defines that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't want to add to it. Just reflect on it. That, that's that's well put. And I love how you tied not just the the response itself, but the the personal significance for you. You know what yep. what having better health actually means outward. What what you can give out by having good health. Yes. What you can what you can give to others by having control of your time yep. and being intentional with that. So no, yep. that that was a beautiful answer. I appreciate that, Chad. Chad, thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed this. I love all of our conversations, but recording it just added an extra element to it that was a lot of fun. So yep. thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, very much my pleasure. Um, if we ever have the opportunity to do this again, love to do it. But thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it very much. All right. Well, I would just like to once again express my gratitude 
to Chad for joining on the podcast this week. And and thank you all out there for listening. It just really means a lot to me that you tune in week in and week out. I, I hope you got a lot from this episode. I, the, my my own takeaway was just the value uh, that can be added by having someone come alongside you to really really partner with you and look at all aspects of, of your finances and your retirement planning. It, it just goes to say that that a, a disciplined long term approach over time really is about the best way you know to prepare well for retirement and to grow wealth over time. So if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. That really helps to get the word out about behavioral wealth. And before acting on anything regarding your finances, please seek the counsel of an independent financial advisor. If you're looking for a place to start, you can check out thebehavioralwealthpodcast.com where you can schedule a free phone consultation with me to help you down the path towards behavioral wealth. Thank you so much for listening. Here's to creating the rhythm in our lives that brings about wealth, health, and happiness. I'm Dr. Dan. This was the Behavioral Wealth Podcast.